welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Welcome back to the program, and thank you for giving me an hour to scare you silly. I've assembled one hell of an episode for you guys this evening. And I think this episode just about has it all. So to kick us off this evening, we begin with a caller named Orion from the state of Idaho. Take it away, buddy. Hello, Derek. My name is Orion, and I live in Victor, Idaho, and I am 11 years old, and I am going to be telling you about this terrifying story I had when I was hanging out in my friend's house. My parents called me and told me that it was time to leave. So I walked out, and I ran through a bunch of cars, and I saw this giant thing, two long legs and a head, no limbs, nothing. There was only two eyes, no mouth, nothing at all. And it was terrifying, and I think I startled it because it just froze there, and I ran off as fast as I could. I went and told my parents and even drew about it, and we, we came to check, and it was gone. We never found a trace of it ever again. Thank you so much for your podcast. It is amazing. I just want to know what it is. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you, Orion. That certainly sounds like a hair-raising encounter. And believe it or not, there are stories from the state of California that seem to describe exactly what Orion saw. And get this, there's actually video. Two of them, in fact. But since this isn't television, I'll allow the Fresno Bee and Weird Fresno author, Michael Banty, to tell you all about the Fresno Nightcrawler. Fresno's over 100 years old. It's starting to have its stories. And one night, cameras happened to capture these, these figures, these creatures, as some people call them. Um, they're now called the Fresno Nightcrawlers. These two figures, maybe 18 inches, 24 inches tall, just kind of strolling across the guy's lawn late at night. That was the only time he ever saw them. Maybe six years later, back in 2011, you know, but he saw part, somebody said they saw the same things. Those look a little bit different. In the Fresno video, they're, they're a little bit taller and their movements are a little bit different. From that, there's been all these pictures drawn uh, of, you know, there, there's a lot of these cute pictures. There, I even saw a plushie once. Somebody actually, somebody actually made a plushie and they were selling, I believe, an Etsy. The story kind of grew out of, out of this little video that was shot 10 years ago, or more than 10 years ago. I wrote about it 10 years ago. I think the video was maybe 15 years ago. And it's kind of just grown from there. My brain is telling me, this is one video. Ten years ago, nothing's really been seen since then. If they were, if they were an actual creature, why were they only seen once? And that was it. It's one of those weird, weird stories. Weird Fresno. I mean, it's an urban legend now, really. For what it's worth, many people claim the first video to be a hoax or a prank, orchestrated using puppets of some sort. And they also think the second video, supposedly taken just outside Yosemite National Park, is also believed to be a hoax, this time using CGI. Now I've linked to the Fresno Bee video and the accompanying article. You can see both of those videos there, so take a look and tell me what you think. 
And thank you again, Orion, for calling in. I hope this sheds some light on your little mystery. Now, as I was selecting calls for this episode, it dawned on me that it's been quite a while since we did a story about shadow people. Well, luckily for us, Kevin from Georgia is just what we need to rectify that situation. Here's Kevin's call. Hey, this is Kevin from Marietta, Georgia, and I'm calling about my encounter from about, uh, I don't know what you would call it, Man in the Black Hat or Shadow Figures, or I think season two, episode five, some girl had a similar encounter. So I was about six, no, seven or eight maybe, and uh, my cousins had just moving into a brand new house that they just bought, and they had this uh, life-size cardboard cutout of a Halo character in one of the closets and asked if I wanted it. Uh, I guess I was around that age that that was a thing. And uh, I said, yeah, so I wanted it for my room. So I put it in my room and, and the, I put it in the corner and out of my window, there's a little bit of uh, light coming in from the street lamp. And uh, everything was fine for a couple of days. I don't remember exactly when it started to happen, but um, one night I wake up and I see it moving. It's like wearing, a, it has a cane wearing like a suit and it's like got like a top hat and uh it starts dancing like i don't know what kind of dance it would be just like old dancing and i don't and it wasn't sleep paralysis because i can move and i got out i got up and ran to my parents room and uh slept there for the remainder of the night it wasn't it just didn't happen once uh, it happened three times actually uh the second time uh it was a couple nights later i don't remember exactly how many days it was I woke up in the middle of the night again, and it wasn't in the corner anymore. Actually, it was right above me, like, leaning over my bed, looking at me in the face. But I couldn't see a face. It was just a black figure, again, top hat, suit, and a cane. And this time, it didn't dance. It just kind of looked at me and then walked away, and I ran to my parents' room again. Well, they were kind of irritated by that point, so my dad decided to sleep with me. Uh, for a couple of nights just so he could, I could calm down and just shut up about it. And that's when uh, it happened the third time was with my dad. I was We were both sleeping, both in my bed. And it happened again, but this time it moved and it leaned up against the wall, kind of like those cutouts of a cowboy with smoking a cigarette, one foot up on the post or something. I don't know if you can picture that, but that's how it was. I didn't say anything to my dad, but kind of just poked at him and he just said, mm-hmm. And then the next day we talked about it and... Yeah, he said he saw it too. So needless to say, uh, the next day we we took that cardboard cut out out of my room and threw it away. And ever since then, uh, I haven't had anything move in my room. But yeah, that one uh, girl who talked about the cane really it gave me shivers. That's what inspired me to call. Anyway, love the show. Your voice is pretty great for this narrating thing. Uh, thanks. Thank you, Kevin. I'll tell you what I liked about Kevin's call, and it probably won't surprise anyone. How great is it that the dad actually saw the figure as well? I see it as a small victory to kids everywhere that were brave enough to speak up about what they saw, only to have their parents dismiss them outright. And could you imagine being in that father's shoes? I'm sure he was certain that Kevin was making up his claims. I picture it as the scene from any 80s or 90s alien slash kids film. 
especially the part where the parents realize they've been living with an extraterrestrial for six months. So thank you again, Kevin, for sharing. I really got a kick out of that one. Now moving along, our next call of the evening comes to us from Chloe in Parts Unknown. Hey Derek, it's Chloe. Still benching your backlogs of episodes. I was listening to season five, episode two, and one of the callers had mentioned when he was a child being terrified by this apparition of a white dog with blue eyes in his room. It made me recall that when I was younger, <laughs> there was a time when my mother actually anointed the entire house with oil. You know, did the whole grab holy water and some oil and anoint every doorknob in the house. I was about three years old at the time. And what spurred this spontaneous, <laughs> I guess, uh, anointing was I began to tell mom and dad, oh yeah, there's a wolf that comes to talk to me uh, in my room at night. I just talk to the wolf and we talk about this or that or the other. And my mom thought it was strange, but I was her first child. So she thought, mm, sure, you know, she's got an imaginary friend. Okay, whatever. Well, after a short period of time, I would come running out of my room in tears and say, you know, I'm scared of the wolf. The wolf is scary. He's growling at me. He's telling me mean things. I'm so scared. And at that point, my mom was like, nope, <laughs> and took it upon herself to bless the house. So uh, that's just one little short detail. Like I said, I'm sure I'll call back in. I've got a myriad of tales to share with you, and maybe you can explain some of them. Maybe there's some kind of, you know, psychology phenomenon where people see wolves it seems like a pretty common subconscious trope but uh thought i'd share and see what you think thanks keep it up thanks chloe well that's a new one on me typically when we talk about wolves it's in reference to dogmen werewolves or even shapeshifters or skinwalkers but this is the first I recall hearing about one visiting a child. If any one of you out there listening has some insight on this little mystery, or any true paranormal experiences for that matter, please give the toll-free hotline a call at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. And please don't forget I'm still looking for those museum or historical building stories. And don't forget about Hometown Legends as well. We only have two more episodes before our next Hometown Legends season finale. So get those calls in soon. So our next call of the evening comes to us via part of the MAU Inner Circle of Trust. If you frequent the Facebook page, you might just recognize our next submitter. So please join me in welcoming John from Minnesota to the program. Hey Derek, it's John from Minnesota giving you a call back. It's been a little while since I've called in, but I did want to share with you and everybody one of the most, I guess, impactful things that's happened to me like in a paranormal sense. I'm starting to get nervous even just thinking about talking about it, but something that happened a long time ago and I'm just going to go ahead and start telling the story and we'll just take it from there. Now, this is something that happened to me in Minnesota at the time I was living in a small town just north of Duluth, and I worked in Duluth, so I drove every day to and from Duluth to work, and then back home. 
And I had some friends that worked with me that once in a while I'd give a ride to and we'd ride share there and back or whatever. And I want to say this was in the fall of 1999. And it was at a time in my life where literally I maybe had read a book about UFOs and things like that. And it wasn't anything that was really ever on my mind too much. I grew up in a in a house that had some strange things that happened. I, you know, I have a couple of stories from my, my youth and things like that, but nothing really like serious ever happened before this. It was one morning in the, in the fall of 99. I remember it being the fall because I remember that there weren't leaves on the trees that we could see through the trees to like the lake and things like that. But I had a friend that worked with me in Duluth, and I went to pick him up probably about 7.15 in the morning. Uh, it takes about a good half hour to get to our job in Duluth. And there's two ways that you can get to Duluth from where I was living. There's a highway and an old highway. And the old highway takes you right along the shore of Lake Superior, basically, the whole way. It's about 15, 20 miles. And it just hugs Lake Superior, and it's a beautiful view. It's a, it's a very nice drive, and especially in the fall when the leaves are changing and things like that, it's really pretty. So we had decided to go that way. I don't remember if it was because there was road construction, which is pretty common in Minnesota. That's one of our seasons, actually. It's winter and then road construction seasons. So picked up my friend at his house, and he had another guy with him that I didn't know. But it was a friend of his, and he needed a ride to Duluth, too. And I had an 85 Ford Ranger. If you can picture that vehicle, it's not a super roomy vehicle, but it had the bench seating in the front, so basically three people could sit in it, and you probably couldn't get much more. So all three of us got in the truck and started driving to Duluth. And like I said, I don't know if it was road construction or we just felt like taking the scenic route or something, but something made us. I don't want to say something made us, but I felt an urge to take the scenic highway. I, I enjoyed it more because just because it's like a scenic view and stuff, and I'm funny like that. But So anyway, we took the old highway, and we were probably about five minutes into our drive. And I remember very clearly that it was a, a clear fall day. Sun was shining, no clouds in the sky, nothing obscuring views of any kind. We come around this corner, and just all of a sudden, my friend points out across from me towards the lake, and he's like, what the F is that? And literally, I looked, and I could not believe it. It was, I mean, no other way to say it, it was a UFO. And it was literally maybe at the most 400 feet off the road we were on at about the same height, it was really close and it was just there, hovering. And I just looked at it and I'm like, huh, it's a UFO, almost like it wasn't a big deal or something. And then as I was looking at it, I realized like, wow. And I'm looking at it and it's it was almost traditional saucer shape. It had a little bit bigger dome and it was like a weird black, like it was a dull black, like I almost want to say like kind of onyx look. It was like polished, really dull grayish black. And it just seemed ominous. Like I looked at it and instantly got like a really bad feeling, but I was more astonished by it. And I actually started to stop because I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I started stopping 
And all of a sudden, my, my friend punches me in the arm. He's like, what are you doing? Go, go, go. And then I, like, stopped, and I looked at him, and then I looked at our other passenger, the guy I don't know who his name was, and he was curled up in a ball crying on the side of me. And that's when it hit me that, oh, this is a serious situation. Like, I do need to get out of here. So then I started flying, and he's just yelling, go, go, go. It's above us. It's above us. And I couldn't see it. I was looking around. I'm like, where is it? He's like, I swear. He's like, it's it's right above us. You got to go. You got to go. And the thing is, is this road, it hugs the lake. So it's not a straight road. It's really curvy. It's a lot of S-curves and things like that that you got to, like, slow down to 30 miles an hour to, to get through. I mean, if you go fast enough, you're going to crash in the side of an underpass trying to just get out of there. So I'm trying to be calm and drive kind of fast and get out of there. And I just, I didn't know what was going on. I just remember looking over and the kid was still crying and like he was in hysteric. And that's what made me, he made me more scared than I think I really was. And then I'm like looking, I'm like, where is it? And then they're like, I don't see it anymore. It, it must be gone. The weird thing is, is during this whole thing, it was maybe only like a minute, two minute episode there was no cars going either way on that road, which was strange because people live on the road and people use it a lot, especially if there would have been road construction. But there was not another car during this whole episode until like about 10 seconds after we couldn't see it anymore. Then cars started coming from the other direction. And I thought that was so weird. It's like, how was there no other vehicles during this whole time? And the weird thing after that was we never talked about it ever. We didn't even, I don't even think we talked about it on the drive to work after that. I ended up still working with my friend for at least another two or three months after this. And we never talked about it ever. And I've only seen him once since I stopped working with him. And this is what, 20 years ago? I've seen him maybe once since that at a reunion in our hometown, and we didn't talk about it then either. I've never seen his friend again, which, I mean, I can't blame him. I kind of wouldn't want to hang out with me anymore after that either. But that's just so strange that just that kind of event made it, I don't know, we just never spoke about it. Now, the worst thing about it was is it really bothered me for years. Like, I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what to make of it. I didn't know what I was supposed to do with that information. You know, like I said, I didn't have a lot of knowledge about UFOs at the time. You know, I knew there was like all these books and all these TV shows like Unsolved Mysteries and The X-Files, things like that. So I didn't really think, it, I thought it was something that it was, you know, that people saw more often than they did. I was trying to figure out what to do with it, so I decided I'd start reading some books and I just kept reading and reading, and then I realized how unusual our event was that it was in the daytime, clear as day, three people saw the exact same thing, we all had a reaction to it, and, you know, I, I look back at it and I, I just, I don't know what to do with the information I was given, and the problem was is I couldn't talk about it in my household because it was really anti that type of thing where the lady I was married to at the time basically said, if you see those things, you're insane and you need a psychiatrist because you're absolutely crazy. Those things don't exist. Well, they do. Absolutely, they do. I'm not saying they're aliens. I don't know what it was. It was a UFO. We saw it and the UFOs do exist. And I was having a lot of problems 
trying to figure out what to do with that information, like I had said. So what I had done is I was really, I really liked the books that Stanton Friedman wrote. Rest in peace. It's, he passed away earlier this year. I was kind of sad about that. But so I reached, I actually reached out to Stanton Friedman. I wrote him a letter about my experience and, you know, basically told him, hey, I need to talk to somebody. I don't know what to do with this and I don't know who else to turn to or what to do. So I just wrote a letter to him and amazingly he wrote me back and we corresponded a little bit. And so it was kind of neat that he took the time to talk to me about it and it made me feel a lot better. But yeah, you know, I just wanted to share this story for you. I hope it uh, hope it helps maybe somebody else out if they've had a similar sighting. And I just want to say thank you, Derek, for this podcast, this amazing podcast, this platform for us to get these off our chests and to, to feel a little bit better and not have to bottle these things up. You do wonderful work. We can't thank you enough. And, you know, just keep up the good work, sir, and we will talk soon. Thank you. Thank you, John. And thank you for helping keep the Facebook group a fun, safe place to talk spooky. Now, let me start by saying that I can literally hear the stress in your voice as you're telling the story. It doesn't matter what this thing was, a trick of the eye, or top-secret military intelligence, or even craft from another planet, solar system, dimension, or even time. Whatever this thing was, I could tell it made John nervous. And frankly, I could understand why. Well, as it turns out, John and his passengers aren't the only ones to see something strange in the skies above Lake Superior. A quick Google search will reveal a handful of images and even a few videos of others seeing something strange over Superior. And if you dig a little deeper, you find a gem like the following. Now, assuming John's sighting took place in mid-October, as his memory might suggest, that would have the sighting I'm about to share with you occurring possibly 20 years to the day of John's encounter. And if not to the day, it's certainly possible it's 20 years to the month. Either way, it feels like that should be significant. Now, without further hesitation, the following clip comes courtesy of KKCB B105 out of the city of Duluth and features a first-hand encounter by one of the employees at the station, Ken Hayes. No relation, I don't believe. Now, pay close attention to how Ken describes the craft that he also witnessed over Lake Superior. And lastly, before I hit play, I know you can't see it, but he's drawing a chevron shape or sort of half of a diamond. Now, here is Ken's story. Alright, so when it was coming at me, it was, uh, it wasn't right above me, but it was high in the sky. And when it came, it was kind of coming over the top of me, so I saw a shape that kind of looked like so. It was coming at me. You know, this is more of an angle, I'm not that great of an artist or something, but you can see that it was like a darker color and reflective like a polished piece of coal in a way you know but then there was like there was glow of lights coming up on it and those weren't easy to see right away at the beginning because they were dim which was really weird you always have to be bright but they'd be dim and then when it turned it did not bank it just moved in a way that it was going to what would be the east direction 
and then you could see those lights again clearer and at the entire time that it was going and like, like I said it was darker and you could see reflective of the city lights off of it it was almost like you know it, it had reflectivity to it and as it went off it didn't make any sound there was never any engine noise there was never any rotor wash there was nothing and it just it, it didn't look it was it, it never appeared to be flying it appeared to just be moving in the sky effortlessly and that was what the most unsettling thing was so you know, anybody else saw anything but that's and there's a lot of reports i've been seeing and looking that this is this isn't un uncommon at all this is a very common ufo sighting and i saw it Now, if you're like me, you're more than curious about the many similarities between John and Ken's stories. So, John, do me a favor and take a look at this video and let me know if any of this stuff matches up. And thank you again for sharing the entry. I could tell it was difficult for you to do so. And now, speaking of that Facebook page, you should check out our social media pages. John, Addie, Sarah, Tony, and Warren have the Facebook rolling. And my wife Sarah helps keep us current on Twitter and Instagram. And Josh has launched a brand new Reddit uh, page or profile or whatever they're called over there. Search out Monsters Among Us on your favorite platform. And while you're at it, be sure to thank our amazing social media team. They do amazing work. Whoa, okay. That was a long segment. So let's do a little catering to our short attention span listeners. The following is a short, sweet, and spooky entry. And it comes to us from Corey in Big Sky Country. Hey, this is Corey from Montana. So as a kid, I grew up on the top of the Bull Mountains in Roundup, Montana. And we had 40 acres next to Forest Service land. And I had pretty much free reign to ride my four-wheeler around. I had a Honda four-wheeler, and I could go around and terrorize the property. And we had this upper hill plateau that we thought about building a replacement cabin on. And I was up on this plateau doing brodies, you know, running in circles on my four-wheeler. And when the dust cleared, I stopped, and I had a helmet on with the clear plastic visor. And I just saw this Indian chief sitting on a horse staring at me. Okay, we've got, you know, a lot of Indian stuff in Montana, but we weren't near any reservations. And on top of that, we're, we're at the top of a mountain. We were the top of a mountain, no neighbors within a mile and a half. And even still, that'd be really weird. But full headdress, you know, the, the chief thing, the full headdress and the buckskin clothes. And he had a staff and the horse was normal, didn't have any war paint or anything on it. Don't remember if there was a saddle or reins. I'm not really a horse guy. But it scared the shit out of me. I am like five, maybe six years old at this point, and my mom and dad are at a cabin over on the other hillside, so I was so scared I ran full tilt towards a barbed wire fence and managed to panic and stop, and then I went and turned a hard left down a mountainside where we had no four-wheeler trail to get away from this Indian that scared me so much. And I had to loop around and come back up our property and get back to our cabin and I did and I ran inside and I told my dad and the point of this is my dad was a ex-Vietnam veteran special forces Green Beret special ops so there's not much he's scared of and of course he had a lot of skills and 
in hunting and tracking and killing anything that might be threatening his child. So I ran in the house scared, threw my helmet down, told him what happened. Well, he grabbed his SKS rifle and went around the backside of the property to go and look for tracks and see what the hell was on our property. And I mean, a horse leaves deep tracks. Um, This is summertime, so not an issue seeing tracks in the hillside. And he spent probably an hour circling our property, looking for tracks, looking where I was. He found my four-wheeler marks. He said there was nothing there, no sign of anyone or anything. And the only thing we could think of was ghost. So that's the story of my ghost Indian chief around up Montana. This is probably 1997. Love your show. Uh, I recently found it, and it makes a huge difference people just sharing their stories. It's It's real. And it made me want to share mine so you can have more material. So thank you. And keep it up, and I will probably join your paid group soon. Thanks. Thank you, Corey. Your story reminds me of a movie I used to watch a lot when I was a kid. The Last of the Dogmen. Now, it wasn't about werewolves or the Beast of Bray Road. It was the story of a tribe of Native Americans that have lived uncontacted in a remote and secluded valley in, you guessed it, Montana. It's pretty good if you like contemporary western adventures, or Tom Berenger. There's a link to the trailer in the show notes. If this is something that piques your interest, I highly suggest checking that out. Otherwise, it's a great story, Corey. And as someone that's also seen the ghost of a Native American, I can attest how amazing and eerie the experience is. The gentleman that I saw also had a large feathered headdress. Perhaps that's significant to native culture in some way. I'd love to hear from our First Nations listeners on this. Any input you have would be greatly appreciated. Thanks again, Corey, for sharing that one. Now before we dive into our last few calls, I want to remind everyone that you can get bonus content over at Patreon. And I just launched a new level where I read works by Edgar Allan Poe as a much-requested sleep aid, I suppose. I'm doing my first recording just after this episode drops. So hop on over to patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast for more details. And thank you so much to all the patrons that help keep the show ad-free. Now our next call is another aerial mystery. Please welcome Susan to the program. Hey, Derek. This is Susan, and I'll just say I'm from Parts Unknown, although the story I'm telling you about is in regards to a UFO in the Atascadero, California area. I listened to one of your podcasts recently, <clears throat> excuse me, and... Uh, I thought I would tell you my little story. So this takes place in 1995. It is a summer evening. It is about 11.30, about 12 o'clock at night. It is a clear night with no clouds, no moon, lots of starlight. Um, the situate, the place is in the foothills between Atascadero and Morro Bay, and uh, about a few miles in from any paved road. The property itself butts up against 100,000 acres of cattle ranch land and uh, Bureau of Land Management land. So there's lots and lots of open 
uh, range in this area. So it was my, I, I worked till 11, 15 or 11.30 every night, and it was my routine to come home every night and uh, water all my plants and, and shrubs and whatnot outside. The soil is poor, and it required during the summertime daily watering. We had huge English walnut trees in the front yard, and they provided a dense and very dark cover. I always did my irrigation, as it were, watering outside without the lights on unless I had some necessary means. I just enjoyed the peace and quiet and the sounds of nature. So the only other person home was my roommate. The lights were dim in the house. There was only one room that showed any light at all, and it was very dim. Everything was quiet, and I was watering for a bit, and I don't know what got my attention, whether everything just went quiet all of a sudden or what, but I looked up, and straight across from me, now mind you, I'm, I'm probably about 100 feet up from the road on the side of a hill on a level area, and and this, what I see, is probably only 50 feet higher than that, and, and what I'm seeing is something I can't make out exactly. All I can really see is what appears to be kind of a shape with no defined line and several running lights that were, uh, you know, weak and yellowish like, uh, you know, like a 20 or 40 watt light bulb, you know, would be under shade. At any rate, it made no noise and it moved extremely slowly. I initially, my brain went initially to the blimp because we lived under the flight path of the blimp when it traveled from San Francisco to Los Angeles or LA back to San Francisco. But that obviously has a, a real undeniable sound. Anybody that's listened to a blimp knows the sound, what they look like. And besides that, I figured instantly that it would, the blimp would be too huge to be down in this little tiny valley. So I just kept watching it. Started to uh, call for my roommate, but actually I just wanted to keep watching it to see what would happen. The way the valley is, and even at night, the air is so clear there. At night, the stars are very bright like it was that night. There's a lot of ambient light because there's nothing to spoil it from the city. We're totally tucked in a little valley. And so the valley comes to a V, just what would have been on the other side of this thing, whatever it was. And I figured I'd just wait till it got into where the sky was backdropped against the mountain and I'd be able to pick up a shape. But when it got there, there was nothing to see. It was almost like it was cloaked, kind of like, it was just kind of invisible. It was like, it reminded me of Wonder Woman's plane. You know, it, you just see the outline and there really wasn't even that. It kind of alluded to a shape of a hot dog bun, kind of like that. But I could not tell whether it was wide and the length appeared to be 50, 75 feet. But the front end was never really visible to me. It's just like I was catching the backside of it. It moved so incredibly slowly. I could have walked and kept up with it. We just decided I would just keep watching it because it was headed towards the other little hills that were straight across from it. And I figured something would have to happen then. I would have to be to something. But actually what happened was it just disappeared into like that hill. It just disappeared one light after another. It was almost like you could see through this object, but you couldn't see inside. It was so weird. At any rate, I, it, I never could really explain it adequately enough to repeat the story to too many people. My roommate wanted to know why I didn't wait and get him up, and I said because I was afraid it would disappear when I turned my back on it. And I, I just don't have any words for it. My feeling really wasn't alien. That property there was frequented by aircraft from the local military bases. We have a couple of theirs in that area. So 
We'd see helicopters coming in low sometimes, dropping people out, pulling them back in. They also used to send jets through there very, very low, so much I could actually see the face of the people who were flying it, okay? So that's how low to the ground they were. According to my roommate, this property had some kind of anomaly. Let's put it that way, kind of Bermuda Triangle kind of anomaly. And they used to test their stuff running under the radar. And often it couldn't be seen according to what he told me. I really don't know where he got this information. So I kind of think this is probably one of the military little jobs, but if it is, it is bizarro and it's very effective at not being seen and being stealthy. It's just weird. I've had a lot of weird things happen. I'll call back another time with other weirds, but this is the only one and only true UFO I have ever seen. I love your program. I just turned on to it a month or so ago and I love it a lot. Love the stories. Love how you handle it. Just the whole format, everything. You have a great day and all the listeners keep contributing because this really keeps me up at night listening. So y'all have a good day. Bye-bye. Thank you, Susan. I once ate at the Atascadero in an Outburger while on a road trip up north. It seemed like a nice little town. So it's crazy to imagine that all this action can go down in such a peaceful place. And while Susan mentioned secret military testing, and that got me thinking of both John and Ken's experience from earlier in the episode, I'm wondering if what they saw was one of the same mysterious craft. This seemed to be pestering Susan's property. And if whatever this thing is has some sort of cloaking capabilities, well, that certainly would explain a lot. Well, thank you again, Susan, for the submission. I'll keep my eyes open next time I'm up that way. All right, folks, it's that time of the evening. Time to wrap this installment up. And to do so, we head back to the state in which I was raised. The following is John's entry from the Buckeye State. Hi, this is John from Ohio. I live about 45 minutes uh, north of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And this happened, let's say, between 1988 and maybe 1990. A lot of things happened, but this one really stuck out the most. I don't know how you'd classify it. To me, I was a child at the time. It was creepy as hell. Uh, I was coon hunting with my father. Like we normally do in the wintertime, I hunt a lot, and we was coon hunting at night. Let's say it's about 2 o'clock in the morning, and we see a spotlight on us. Well, this night was very clear. There was like maybe a partial moon, and a floodlight came on us in the middle of the woods where he was hunting it. And he's like, well, you know, what's going on? We looked up, and you could see, all I can describe is it had one light, a floodlight on us, and it looked like the helicopter blades. It was a oval-shaped thing. It, it had to have been a helicopter, I think. I don't know. The thing about it was it was a still night, and I heard nothing. And my father was like, what the hell do you want? You know, I mean, to this, whatever this was. And the light turned off and went straight toward Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. To this day, I I think it was a, some kind of technology that maybe the government had, I don't know. But I could tell you, you could hear a pin drop a mile away, and that thing made absolutely no sound. When the light hit us, it scared the living bejesus out of us. And 
that's one of uh, many stories here in Ohio I've had. I might have time to give you one more. When I was younger, I'd say 1986 or 87, my mom was taking me to school early in the morning, and we lived down by the Miami River Valley, again, just uh, north of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And we went down this one back road to get to our old school. And all I could say is something on two feet, every bit eight foot or taller, walked across the road in front of us. My mom locked the brakes up, and I saw it too. It was like kind of dusk or early morning where it was still kind of hazy. All you could see was the headlights. It didn't even turn and look at us, but it was bipedal, like many of your people on your show. It looked like a giant ape. I did not see its face. It had very long arms, very muscular. Very. Uh, remember how thick its legs were. Just scared the crap out of me and my mom. And uh, that happened. Kind of this brings back the nerves to not get sidetracked. But anyway, we went back. Mom, we didn't even go to school. My mom was terrified. I went back with my father with a gun. And when we got there, you could see the footprints, the typical Bigfoot print. Again, this was in the early 80s. That's the story there. Thanks, Derek, for everything you do. I love your podcast. Keep up the good work. Bye. Thank you, John. I love a good two-for-one, and this one certainly didn't disappoint. Now, my initial thoughts align with John's in regards to his UFO sighting. I'd be quick to think military drone of some sort, but I'm not sure what our capabilities were with drones back in the late 80s. Now that said, it wouldn't take much imagination to come up with some sort of remote-controlled dirigible or balloon that could explain its ability to hover silently. And I've heard some wild stories come out of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, so nothing in that area would surprise me. Now, as for the hairy hominid portion of the tale. As an Ohio boy, I know a lot about being a Buckeye. Football, farms rock and roll, the shoe, Cincinnati chili, or my favorite, Ohio Valley pizza. One of the main things I miss most about being home. Well, there's something else that people in the sticks of Ohio know all about. And as someone that grew up near a big Sasquatch hotspot, Salt Fork State Park was a 20-minute drive from my childhood home, I can tell you that Bigfoot is big back that way. And not just any Bigfoot. See, they have a name for theirs. They call him the Ohio Grassman. And he's the ornery cousin to the Pacific Northwest's gentle giant. Here's the legend himself, Lawrence Coleman, discussing Grassman on some Monster Quest bonus footage. The Ohio Grassman is nothing more than a local nickname for Bigfoot. Eight and a half feet tall, maybe the upper limits. Some of them are short, six and a half feet tall. They're covered in hair. They can look like a human-type creature, except very ape-like in terms of being a Sasquatch. Most of the eastern reports of Bigfoot talk about them being violent and attacking people, killing dogs. There are certain things that are found in the east that you oftentimes don't hear about in the west, such as they build nests, 
where they do deer kills and other things that be, seem to be specific to Ohio and the other states in the east. Now, although Salt Fork and the aptly named Sasquatch or Grassman Triangle is on the opposite side of the state as John, it's important to point out that there's only about 150 miles of farms and state parks separating the two locations. So I guess you could say anything is possible. Thank you again, John, for taking the time to share your stories. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Addie Lloyd and Sarah Carter Hayes. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. That terrifying score you hear. That's co.ag music. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, and until next week. Tonight's secret entry comes to us from Ashland, in the state of Utah. Take it away, Ashland. Hi there, my name is Ashlyn. I just started listening to your show like a few days ago, and I'm hooked on it. I just thought I would share something that happened to me about four, three, four years ago, maybe more. But my family, we went on a trip to St. George, Utah. We're from Utah, but we were about four hours away from St. George. We went with another family. We rented this big house so we could stay in for a few days while we went hiking and just kind of hung out in St. George. Me and my sister, we got to stay in a room upstairs. There were twin beds. The heads of the bed were on opposite walls, so our feet were close together. And at the foot of each bed in the middle of the room, there were these two big windows. The windows looked out and there was the roof that was connecting this side of the house to the other side. So it was this tiny little part of the roof slanted up from my side and from her slanted up too. So um, one night I remember kind of laying there and I couldn't sleep at all. I never really felt good in the house but I also have a hard time sleeping when it comes to being in new places and this house just kind of made me feel a little eerie in a sense. So um, something you should know about me is I'm like practically blind so I need my contacts or glasses to see and you know I'm laying there I don't have my glasses on no contacts in 
It's dark in the room, and I don't know why, but I chose to just kind of sit up in the bed, and I went and I looked out the window, and it's blurry, but I kind of stare, and I see red. I see, like, this glowing dot of red and kind of a black outline, and I'm sitting there going, what is that? Like, there's nothing on this roof, because I remember looking out there earlier, and it was just, just a roof. No, nothing on there. There weren't any glowing lights. There were no parts of the house that were lit up out there. So it was kind of weird. And I thought about it for a minute, and I freaked out, and I sat back. And I just kind of laid my head down, and I didn't move the whole night. Didn't sit back up and double-check it. Didn't go running to my parents in the other room. I was like 18 or 17, so I didn't want to freak myself out too much. And so I just laid there. And the next morning, I was like, okay, sit up. Look out the window and see if there's anything there. And I looked, and I felt chills just go up and down my body because there was nothing there. I couldn't see any lights, and I know it was daylight, but it wasn't super bright outside, so I had no idea what I had seen the night before. But I tried to look it up on the Internet, anything about weird sightings or things running around in St. George. And it could have been an animal, but I think it, from what I remember, it was very large and just kind of perched there. So it was really weird. My dad, I told him, and he's all for this stuff, and he was kind of freaked out too. And they went and they looked out there. I think someone went on the roof, and there was nothing. So just thought I'd share. From what I can remember, it was some kind of animal outline, but it was the red, the red that I saw that freaked me out. I'm pretty sure it was a red eye just looking. And the chills I had, I can't, that feeling was terrifying, so... Love your show. Keep it up. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you, Ashlyn, for sharing. I'm a little confused about uh, part of the story. Is I can't tell if we're talking about one eye or a pair of eyes. Uh, if I had to guess, I'd say we're talking about one red eye. So it makes me wonder if this might not have been biological at all. Could it have been some sort of equipment or even a vessel of some sort. Either way, thank you again, Ashlyn, for sharing that story. And thank you for sticking around to the end of the show. Have a good night.